welcome to Reworked, the podcast about our working lives. For many of us, the work we do defines our place in the world. Increasingly, we are looking for meaningful work, which is aligned to our personal values and beliefs. And we want to feel proud and positive about the relationships we build and the services we deliver. For episode six of Reworked, I've travelled to Levensume in Manchester to look up an old friend of mine who has turned her passion for workplace equality into real purpose. Jolie Brearley launched the Pregnant Then Screwed campaign three years ago, simply as a forum for women to share their stories online about how they had been treated by employers while pregnant or returning to work after the birth of a child. I'm interested to hear Jolie's personal story, which gave her the impetus to get started. But I'm also really keen to understand more about how a passion can become a project and how that project becomes a lobbying campaign with impact and then a movement which captures the hearts and minds of working parents around the world. So Jolie Brearley, it is lovely to see you. Thank you for inviting me to your house in Manchester. No problem. I'm so excited for this conversation because Jolie and I, uh, we have known each other for a long, long time, probably 20, mm. almost 20 yeah, years. Yeah, 20, yeah, about that. Since we worked oh, together on a... way our age. I know. 20 years since we worked together on a magazine in Newcastle. And I haven't seen you for probably about at least 10. Yeah. So, but I have been keeping up with um, your... All the stuff that you've been doing. My um, activities. Yes, all your activities around Pregnant uh, Then Screwed campaign. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, where to start? Because I haven't heard it from your... I haven't heard it from your... From the horse's mouth. House's mouth. So, um, I think we need to go right back to how did this start? Where did we begin? Okay, yeah. well... Um, so, I was working for a children's charity in the northeast of England. I was self-employed and I had designed a, a project and had secured all the funding for it and I had to have a recipient of the grant that was a charity. So I'd taken this project to this charity because I knew them and said, why don't we do this together and I will project manage it. And I was about six months into the project when I told them I was four months pregnant. The uh, pregnancy wasn't planned, but that's for a different <laughs> podcast. And I documented everything, had planned everything meticulously to ensure there'd be no problems with them whatsoever. So I had somebody ready to step into my shoes to take over the project. It was all going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Sent them the email and the next day they sacked me by voicemail. So I, I heard this message, remember vividly being completely shocked, really heartbroken. I remember shaking and thinking, what can I do? I mean, how could they do that to me? What spurious reason did they give for? They didn't give a go. reason. They said, your contract is being pulled. I'm sorry to tell you that your contract is being pulled. Please hand everything over immediately. That's all it said. So I I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I'd never encountered anything like mm. that before. Obviously, it was entirely unexpected. So I uh, did what any reasonable human would do and sat in front of Google, mm -hmm. thinking Google would help, help me. me. But I didn't even know the words pregnancy discrimination or maternity discrimination. So I was typing in things like sacked and pregnant or... Mm. Um, 
need to uh, need a lawyer for pregnancy problems, you know, but just yeah. stuff that yeah. actually, you know, the hindsight was ridiculous. And I called various phone numbers and nobody could help me. In the end, I got a lawyer and the lawyer wrote them a letter that cost me £300 and the organisation just threw that letter in the bin. There was no comeback from it. So at a time when you're, you have no idea where your next income is mm. coming from, because that was my income until I had the baby. It was you know £17,000 worth of income until I had the baby. At a time when you don't know where your next money is going to come from and you have to pay a mortgage, that is terrifying. Then as all this was happening, I went to a routine hospital appointment and found out I was having a high-risk pregnancy. And the doctor said you could go into labour at any point. It was really dangerous. Had I gone into labour at that point, the baby would have died because I was 20 weeks pregnant. And so they said, whatever you do, don't get stressed. That <laughs> could bring on labour. And mm. of course... That, you know, Easier said than done if you'd just been sacked. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a choice I had the privilege of making. So, But I did have the choice of not pursuing a legal case against this organisation, which would be incredibly stressful. So the choice was taken out of my hands and I dropped the case. As you only have three months less one day to raise a tribunal claim from mm. the point the discrimination occurs, and they don't care if your baby, you know, if you've been mm. high-risk pregnancy, I couldn't then pick up the case at a later date. So I dropped it. I had, baby was fine. Theo, he's four years old, he's a little terror. <laughs> uh, after I had him, I attended parent groups and I started talking to other mums about what had happened to me and discovered that far from mine being an isolated incident, actually this sort of stuff was happening all the time. The majority of mothers that I spoke to, it, something had happened. They'd either been demoted, they'd been made redundant, they were terrified about going back, they were being sidelined. There were stories every, you know, from every corner, mm. and gosh, that was like a big. Was that like a big light bulb moment for you? Oh my god, everybody's having this experience. Well, I'd love to say it was a light bulb moment, but it was a bit of a slow drip yeah. feed of like, oh right, okay, you've had something similar, mm. and then and then it happened to a friend of mine, and then it happened to another friend of mine, and I was still seethingly angry mm. about how what had happened to me and that I'd been unable to do anything about it. it every day I was thinking about it. And I just thought I've got I've got to do something for my own sanity and because something needs to be done and these stories aren't being told. Nobody seems to realise this is going on. It seems to be hidden away from public view. And surely, if I can just show the world that this is happening, then humanity will, you know, people will do something about mm, it. Mm. And so I naively thought, all I need to do is show the world this is happening and suddenly everything will change. And so Pregnant Then Screwed was born and it was a place for women to tell their stories anonymously. And that was key because, of course, women don't want to be branded a troublemaker. So you, you're too scared of talking publicly about what has happened to you. Who's going to employ you if, you, if you're yeah. the sort of person that's going to create that sort of fuss? Or if you do create a fuss, you're made to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So legally you are gagged from talking publicly it's just the same as sexual harassment. So by allowing women to have this safe space to tell their stories completely anonymously, it meant they felt comfortable to do that. So mm. we've now got over a 1,000 stories on the site. 
and that's where it began. Wow. So did you set it up as a, a blog? Um, how did you, what were the mechanics of setting up the campaign at that point? Well, it was just a, well, I got up on International Women's Day 2015 and thought, right, I'm going to do it. So I spent the morning teaching myself WordPress while bouncing a baby on one knee and trying to feed him Weetabix to keep him quiet. And then the first thing I, so it was just a simple WordPress site. Yeah. And I posted my story to begin with. And then, of course, it had some information like what it was about and what we were trying to do. And then set up social media accounts simultaneously and just pushed it out and started asking people to send me their stories. So through the website, they could post their story. It came to me and then I could post it online. So were you taken aback by how quickly the word sort of spread about the website and contributions were coming in? Was it... Or was it kind of a steady build? It was slow to begin with. And the first 10 stories were hard to get. So I was convincing Mm. women to put their stories on there. Because, of course, I was a new website. Nobody had heard of it before. So they didn't feel comfortable just telling something so personal. And, of course, people find it really hard to tell their story because they're reliving an experience that has potentially had an enormous Mm. impact on them mentally. So... So you're having to advocate from quite early. You're almost campaigning from the beginning. Yeah, I was. I was contacting people and getting friends of friends. And I was on the phone to people trying to convince them to post their stories. But then I wrote an article for Mumsnet. That was picked up by the BBC and I was invited to go in Victoria, Derbyshire. And then it mushroomed. That's when it started to really take off. Yeah, and I think that's when I noticed what you've been up to on Facebook. When the Victoria Derbyshire interview happened. So how long ago was that? That was almost three years ago. Okay. So we've come a long way since Mm. then. We then, after Victoria Derbyshire, which was terrifying. That was the first time I'd ever been on television. And it was live, of course. No, you're a pro, of course. Well, you know, now I could just do it at the drop of a hat. No, I mean, it's always terrifying, but... Uh, live television when you know you're in the infancy as well of a campaign yeah so you've no idea what they're going to ask you and but it went well I burst into tears as soon as it had finished because the adrenaline yeah. was so much um and I'm presuming at this point and this might be the case now I don't know three years ago you didn't have like anyone else advising you or you'd have a few sounding boards I guess but how did you you'd have to work out your own key messages your own campaign <laughs> You know, all of that, yeah. Communications, you were doing all that yourself. I was just talking to Tom about it. We, yeah. before I went on, uh, we'd been in, we went for a couple of days in Venice, and I said, I'm, you know, and we talked about it while I was in Venice. But <laughs> what should I say if they say this? And how should I, you yeah. know, get that message across? And he was, he was the only person that I talked to about yeah. it. There was nobody else around at that point. It was just me, yeah. little old me. That must have been challenging. Say the least. Yeah, yeah, it was. But I mean, the, the same. T- I mean, Tom's Tom was very good. He was very helpful. Um, uh, but you know, and it's, in many ways, it's kind of continued like that because the um, the volunteers and the people that I work with now are spread across the country. Mm. So I don't meet with anybody face to face very much. It's very much computer based. I sit mm. behind a laptop, mm-hmm. tip tapping away mm-hmm. the majority of the days using digital technology uh, to spread the love. Yeah. So what's the model now then? So, you you know, you had your passion, it's become a campaign. How does it, how how do these people, women mostly, on the street, how do they, how does it, how do they work? Well, so we, so we went from having the website where people post their stories to then setting up a free legal advice line. Mm -hmm. 
because lots of the women that were contacting me needed de- desperately needed help and they had nowhere to turn and they were asking me legal advice yeah. and I didn't have a clue. So I met a brilliant woman called Danielle through the Mums Net article mm-hmm. uh, who was based in Manchester. We went out for a cup of coffee, got on really well. She genuinely really cared about this issue and she agreed to set up a pro bono legal advice line um, wow. and advise women for free. So um, we set that up. I've seen that on your it. website and it's literally just a mobile phone number, isn't it? Mm. And you ring it and I guess Danielle answers it. And yeah, gives people... <laughs> and you don't have to go through a load of hoops or no. filling out forms or no. you just go straight to somebody who helps you which is yeah, yeah. incredible and she's very good at what she does you know she's won awards for her work so she's really skilled knows her stuff and she talks to people any hour of the day as well i shouldn't really say that she'll kill me for saying that but i know she sits in the bath at 10 o'clock at night on the phone to people trying to help wow. them and then that must have been a big turning point for you when you had her on board and oh, you were able to yeah. offer a service to people rather than just yeah. I mean, sharing stories is a service yeah but to be able to give some practical oh yeah advice. and she makes me so proud you know knowing that I've got somebody with that sort of skill and mm. somebody that genuinely cares they're not after, she's not after your cash which mm. let's be honest a lot of lawyers are they're looking at your wallet not the content of your, your story and yeah. what, what the problem is um and so the, the feedback we get about that advice line is amazing. And then then we realised that a big report came out from the Equality and Human Rights Commission which showed that 54,000 women a year lose their jobs for getting pregnant. So that's one in nine. 77% of working... One in nine pregnant women. Yeah, will lose yep. their job because yep. they've dared to use their uterus. 77% of working mums encounter discrimination, so that's three in four, and that those figures have almost doubled in 10 years. So far from improving, the situation is deteriorating. It's getting much, much worse. So when people say, we well, don't need equality, oh, mm. women have... Mm. No, actually, there are mm. massive problems mm. going on that we're not aware of. And it also showed that less than 1% of women who encounter discrimination, even raise a tribunal claim. It's 0.6% use our justice system to get the justice Mm, they deserve when mm. it happens. So there's this massive disconnect there between these figures are increasing enormously, numbers of women who are encountering it, the number of women that actually can do anything about it is decreasing enormously. So we thought, okay, what can we do to help women access justice? And there's very little we can do, but we knew that, Lots of it was about stress, about them not understanding what they're meant to, how they're meant to access justice. They're pregnant, they've just had a baby. Mm, so vulnerable. So vulnerable. You don't know who, you, people don't understand, they don't get it if they haven't been through it. It's really hard for your husband to understand how you're feeling. So we, we started to pair up women who've been through an employment tribunal with a woman about to go through that process Okay. as a mentor scheme. Mm-hmm. And... It's very ad hoc. You know, it hasn't got any funding. We just kind of fling people together, hope for the best, but we've had some real success stories off the back of that. And then we went international. So we set up Pregnant and Screwed in America, Spain and Sweden. And we have stories from those countries on uh, the website as well. And how did that come about? Just people in those 
countries saying, oh, we need some of this over here, please. Yeah, yeah it was exactly that. Yeah. So with all the BBC, we got loads of attention when the reports came out about the statistics and it was picked up in American press and then lots of people in America contacting us saying, we need something like this over here. So I thought, well, let's set one up then. And yeah. we did. Um, of course, it's a very different, it's a different legal landscape over there. And yeah. employment, in terms of employment law as well. We don't have a free legal advice line, but we do have on the American site places where they can get help. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it, I mean, it's quite barbaric, the system in America. And, it, you know, it's a whole different minefield. But um, we hope to do a bit more work in America in the coming years. And... And then we're now, we've just launched... Oh, and then we did March of the Mummies. Yes, I was going to say, so that was last autumn, sort of September time, was it? Yeah, it was October the October. 31st, Halloween. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Missing the point there. Yeah. Um, and that, and was, that happened all over the UK. Yeah, that was six cities across the UK. So it was Newcastle, London, Manchester, Cardiff, uh, Belfast and Glasgow. And we had... People dressing up as the Walking Dead mummies style, yeah. which was supposed to represent the archaic legislation that's in place because we, our legislation is still, the, the legislation we have today worked in the 1950s, mm. but doesn't work now. So our whole structure is set up as if you have one parent at home looking after children. The whole structure needs to change, mm. which is why you get discrimination. So we were asking for five changes to legislation. We had some celebrities come and loads of MPs turned up and it was brought up in Prime Minister's questions the following day as a direct question to Theresa May and we had loads of press coverage so it definitely made a bit of a stink. And so how many women do you think were involved? I mean, I guess it's a guesstimate, but how many were involved in those marches? Uh, across the six, we probably had about 1,500 people mm -hmm. there. And, I mean, it was during the day on a working day on a mm. Tuesday, so loads of people couldn't come because of that. We had um, lots of digital, like we trended on Twitter, and loads of people yeah. were interacting digitally yeah. to yeah. support it. Yeah. And, yeah, it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. It was so much fun. Is we that... had a right laugh doing it as well. It amazing. I know a few of my friends were there supporting it. Yeah. Um, is that going to become an annual event, do you think? Well, I'd, no. Not sure yet. We're not going to do it this October. I don't think we'd have the same impact as yeah. we did doing it the first time round. I think potentially not this year, but the year after we might do something. Mm. And I think we want to do something to kind of commemorate it in some uh, some way on the 31st of October. But uh, no, I don't think... No. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of expense and money that, you know, we have to find from somewhere. That, uh, mm -hmm. So... So much of the mummies, was that a point where you thought, okay, we've, we've been in existence for a few years, I've got a momentum behind this campaign, and I want to actively lobby. Mm. And that was, that was the moment we thought, okay, how am I going to do this? Let's go Women out and on the start street. shouting. Yeah. Making we some had, noise. We had done a bit before that. So our big campaign was to extend the time limit to raise a tribunal claim. Because, yeah. as I was saying, it was something that cause problems for me and it causes problems for a lot of women three months when you're either pregnant or you've just had a baby I mean you just had a baby you can barely make a cup of tea every day mm. let alone mastermind a tribunal so giving and there's loads of research that shows that you um you you suffer from shock when something like that happens and it takes months before you turn that shock into I want to do something yeah. about this so by the time the three 
you know, by the time three months is up, you're still not in that position to feel angry and to like you want to do something. So we want to want that time limit to be extended. We have 102 MPs have signed an early day motion in Parliament for it to be extended. All p- political parties and uh, we have 55,000 signatures on a petition. So that was our first lobbying. Mm-hmm. Um, and we incorporated that into March of the Mummies with four other demands. So then, yeah. 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 And we're in touch with lots of MPs. We have loads of brilliant MPs that support what we're doing. Uh, but sadly, nothing has changed as, as yet. Yeah. So you've got your demands that anyone can read on your website. Yeah. Should we just run over those now? Oh, so it's yeah, the, okay. Um, you can changes test me. to the um, the legislation, the the time in which people can raise a, a claim. Yeah, that's the first one. The second one is to subsidise childcare from the age of six months old. We have the most expensive childcare system in the world in the UK, which makes it prohibitively expensive for many parents to return to work. And of course, the person that tends to drop out of the workplace is yeah. the woman mm-hmm. because she's more likely to earn the least because of the gender pay gap and because society tells her she should be the one staying at home with the kids. So if you can subsidise childcare, more women will mm. feel able to return mm. to work. Which is what is what businesses and organisations want. They want the women to come back. Exactly. You and know, bottom line for them is that it's better for the women to come back. They've paid for that woman to be yeah. trained, recruited. Yeah. You know, they want that to happen. Exactly. And, you know, we want to have, we need to have a really good childcare system in the UK so that children are being looking, looked after effectively. The childcare, the whole childcare system is a mess. We have, um, we don't subsidise childcare like they do in other countries and therefore nurseries are running on pittance so they're giving substandard care. Nobody is benefiting because we don't value care in the UK. Mm could talk about that for a long time mm. but I won't um, the second one is to make parent, parental leave equal yeah. because you have shared parental leave but it's still not equal a mother is entitled to six weeks leave and 90% of pay a father is not so we want to equalise the playing field so that it is um, a message from the government that they see mothers and fathers as having equal roles in a child's life and if you if you incentivise fathers to take time out to care for their children, you'll see, because it's, the statistics are that 2% yeah. do it, uh, you'll see more fathers, and therefore more, more mothers will be able to return to work, the children benefit, the father benefits, everybody benefits. Mm. Um, and at the minute the government are pushing shared parental leave, but the whole system is completely flawed, so they're spending £1.5 million pounds on promoting shared parental leave because they realise this is important. We, they need more fathers to take time out to care for their children. Mm. But the structure doesn't work, so you're polishing a turd, as they say. Mm. <laughs> uh, the fourth one is to give the self-employed access to shared parental leave. At the moment, the self-employed get nothing... Mothers get maternity allowance, which is less than uh, what employed mothers mm-hmm, get. Mm-hmm. We're not asking for that to change. What we're asking for is fathers to have ac- to be able to access uh, parental leave pay. Um, it wouldn't cost the government anything to implement that. All it would be is taking the mother's portion of the money if she wants to return to work and you mm-hmm. give that to the father. Mm-hmm. It means that women who start businesses, who are entrepreneurs, can return to work if they want to. At the moment, they can't. It's The onus is totally on them. Uh, how many is that? <laughs> That's four. That's four, so we've had... Oh, and flexible working. Yes. 
There are two, there are many ways that you can slice this pie. Flexible working is absolutely critical mm. if we want to close the gender pay gap and if we want mothers to be able to have careers. The government knows this, but they're not doing anything about it. It also is proven time and time again that this has a massive benefit on companies and on the the economy in the UK. So this benefits everybody flexible yeah. working. Part-time workers work harder. They work longer. They work, they, they're more productive. Yeah, exactly. More engaged. Yeah. So all the companies that have implemented flexible working structures have shown that they increase their profits, dramatically increase their profits. So, uh, but the companies are just, they're just, you know, it's full of old oafs who just are not grasping this at all. So we wanted to give it a bit of a kickstart. And so just as they've done with the gender pay gap, where they have to report on the gender pay gap, we want companies to report on how many flexible working requests are made and how many are granted. Yeah, I think that's such a great idea. So it's, it's published, it's embarrassing if they're not giving people... And so uh, parents who... Are working for an employer or going for a job know what it's like to yeah. work there before they walk into that company so it's exposed mm. in a way that tells you more about a company culture than the gender pay gap does yeah yeah it does yeah. yeah yeah i would have loved the statistics of the gender pay gap to show how how many uh, women are promoted per year and how many men are promoted mm. per year and compare that to how many men and women they have in their company because mm. i think that's a more interesting mm. statistic Look at how you're promoting people, but definitely it's still great. The gender pay gap statistics are still being very helpful, and I'm really glad that we've got some momentum behind it. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely already proving a lever for organisations to to take some action. I mean, it's they they know that the the workforce are looking at these statistics and that job seekers are looking at them, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's if they want to improve their recruitment talent pool, then they're going to have to close the gender pay gap. And the way that they do that, in mm. my, my opinion, because motherhood causes the is the main mm. cause of the gender pay gap. By the time a woman's first child is 12 years old, her hourly pay rate is 33% behind a man's. It is a massive leap when women have children. And that's mm. because, well, it's for many different reasons, mm. but it's because society tells us women should be looking at home looking after the children, so they leave work. Legislation doesn't support men doing it. We don't have flexible working structures in place. Chat, you know, all of those things add up to it. So, if companies implement flexible working and uh, start to look after women when they're pregnant, when they're on maternity leave, and when they return, then they will see their gender pay gaps close. Mm. Mm. Probably not entirely, but they'll certainly see a massive yeah. difference. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> that brings us up to date almost. So the March of the Mummies happened back end of last year. What's what's next for the campaign? You've well, got certain. You've got the ear of a few, a good number of MPs. Yeah, uh, we are. We're doing look various. So we have kind of four key strategies. The first one is to help women understand their rights because that's a big problem. They don't understand what they're legally entitled to. We want to help women find work that works for them. So we're doing a series of events, pregnant and screwed live. Oh, wow. Where we're helping women find, uh, if they want to be entre- entrepreneurs, if they want to find flexible working, help them rebuild their confidence. Um, so that's all starting in May. Uh, we want to get the government to change legislation. So 
we have our five campaigns that we're still working on and um, finally we want businesses to understand the business benefits of looking after pregnant women and new moms. Mm. So we're doing a campaign that's on Friday called Dear Employer where we're encouraging women who have left organisations because they didn't feel that they were looked after while pregnant on maternity leave or returning to work after maternity leave to write to their employer and say what they did wrong. Where did they screw up? Mm. And just be really honest about it. Also tell them what they did well and give them some pointers of how they can improve. And potentially it falls on deaf ears, but potentially a few employees go, oh, okay, well, perhaps you're... You know, we found that lots of CEOs don't even know some of this stuff is going no. on they do, because it's it's managers of people that create tend to create the mm. problems. Mm. So if if we can make a difference through these letters, then we hope that you know some of them will sit up and take notice. So that's happening on Friday. Oh, Lots wow. of women sending out letters. So they're going to be private letters, not public. Not public. No, no they'll just go straight to their yeah. employer. We'll be CC'd or BCC'd in, yeah. depending on how they want to do it. Yeah. And then uh, we're doing Pregnant and Screwed Live in May the twelfth. Where's that going to be? Manchester. Excellent. And then we're hoping to tour it. So we're hoping to do London, Newcastle, uh, Bristol and Glasgow. We're just trying to find a sponsor for it. And so people can get tickets for that from the website or register. It's sold out in four days. Oh wow. Two hundred and fifty tickets just went, which was fantastic (laughs) but really terrifying. I never but it just shows the appetite because it shows how many Mothers, you talented, skilled, brilliant mothers, you have. It's amazing and yet awful. That yeah, that many people that need exactly, yeah, that need that help mm. desperately need that help. And if only you know, employers would make themselves um, appealing to those types of people. They have this massive talent pool of, mm. of women mm. available. Are there? I know this is a question that anybody listening to this podcast is now thinking, so I'd better ask it. Are there any employers that you know from your experience, from the anecdotes you've heard, that are particularly good Mm. around this? Now, I would, there is usually one employer I always say to this, and um, I had a story about them two days ago. Oh dear. So they've gone off my list. Mm. Um, Or even any that have initiatives, even if they aren't. Aviva have done something very bold, which is... They have made shared parental leave in their company completely equal. So fathers can have six months paternity leave on full pay. That is a fantastic move. Mm. And shows that they see the business benefits of allowing, of encouraging fathers to take time out to care for their children as well as the mothers to take time out to care for their children. Mm -hmm. And I would hope that other organisations follow suit. Mm. Um, I've never had a negative story about Aviva, but what their culture is like internally, I I couldn't couldn't tell you. But I think that in itself is a statement of intent that is a positive one. I know, um, I think it's Accenture that are, there's maybe a couple of companies that have started to, and they're one of them that have started to offer flexible working as standard for new new recruits. Mm. So it's it's given rather than being asked for, yeah. Which I think again, it's a great statement statement of intent. Yeah, there's um, I think BT have done a similar okay. thing, and they've written lots of reports on how the benefits of that, how that's changed their company yeah. for 
for the better. And remember, this is flexible working for men and for women. Yeah, isn't it? It's of not, course. We're not just talking about how this benefits women, but everybody. Everybody. And 84% of millennials want flexible working. Yeah. So the, you know, the whole new stream yeah. of talent that's coming through, they will breaks. not work for you unless they can get flexible working. No. This is what people want now. So if you're going to be a stick in the mud and decide that you want somebody in five days a week, eight till six, which tends to be mm. working hours, not really nine to five, then you just, you're going to die. Mm. You get with the program. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the live events coming up, more campaigning, more lobbying, more campaigning. Yeah, I've just put out some more some other volunteer roles so that we can get some of the campaigning. I was just about to say, how can people get involved? So this is how they can get involved. This, yeah, we how have... can I get involved? <laughs> <laughs> um, we have. Six volunteer roles, I think there is, on the website at the moment. And we have, oh, we also have a forum called Work It Out, workitout.org.uk, which is where working parents and parents-to-be and anybody that's interested really can go on and have discussions about stuff to do with flexible working, shared parental leave, any, any of these issues. And if they need legal help, we have legal advisors on there and specialists in every area, so they can ask direct questions to specialists. Mm-hmm. We've launched that with um, Anna from Mother Pucker. Mm-hmm. You heard of Mother Pucker? Yeah. So we launched that with her. Um, and so we're, we're, looking, we're always looking for moderators and people to help out in the forum to keep the forum ticking over because it can be quite intense. Mm. And, yeah, we have these volunteer roles and then... We just we want people to to share as much of the work that we're doing. So to follow us on Instagram, yeah. pregnant and screwed, or Twitter or Facebook, so to keep up to date with what we're doing, share it as much as possible so that mm. as many people know about it. If you work for a company, we want you to lobby your employer to sign the Working Forward program, which is Quality and Human Rights Commission, which will help you. Um, get rid of pregnancy and maternity discrimination in your workplace and will be a statement of intent mm. you know not all organizations that sign up to working forward are going to be perfect but at least it's showing that there is an intent behind that and um what else would we like you to do we'd like you to come to our events and yeah. just help you make some noise turn yeah. up the volume yeah, exactly mm-hmm. that's what it's all about we just mm. want you know to be one big megaphone mm. shouting for the fact that mothers are brilliant employees and we're being alienated from the workplace and it I'm makes so inspired by what you're doing oh, thank it's you. such a great story and you know this you have turned this passion of yours well a passion or something you're very angry about Mm. into something very positive and into a campaign that's that's quite literally going global and viral um pretty much all single-handedly and you keep talking about we but i get i get the sense that you've got your team of volunteers but mostly it's you doing doing most of the doing yeah um which is incredible considering just how much volume you have already created around this so i think it's it's amazing um what I guess as a final, as a parting thought, what have you got advice for? I'm sure there's other people listening, thinking, "Well, I've always, I've always wanted to make a difference on this. I've always wanted to drive change around this." Mm. What would you say to those people about doing it? Um, that's a very good question. I've always really wanted to do a big think about what 
you know, how you campaign and what I've learned mm. from campaigning. So I would say, uh, first thing you need to do is set up, a, you know, say what what you're doing, what your campaign is about, set something up on the internet, so do a website um, so that you've got a place where people can go and they can understand what it is that you're talking about. Then you need to find supporters and they will come in all sorts of forms. So there'll be other people, if you care about this, there will be other people out there that care about this and mm. you need to find them. And they will help you. And there will also potentially be celebrities that might care about it. There may be MPs that care about it. So just just start talking to people. What I did was got on Twitter and started finding journalists. That was the first thing I did that I thought might be interested in this area. And I just emailed a ton of journalists and said, this is what I'm doing. And some of them got back to me because mm. they were interested and have continued to support the programme. I emailed a ton of MPs. Some of them came back to me. I emailed a ton of celebrities when we were doing March of the Mummies. And the one celebrity that came back to me, Kira Knightley. So I was being ignored <laughs> wow. by like class Z celebrities. <laughs> but then Kira Knightley came back to me the next day and was interested. So you've, you've no idea where your support's going to come from. Follow the money. So if you, with most campaigns, there'll be a money, there'll be yeah. money somewhere. And people, you will only, you will really make a difference if you figure out where that money's coming from and how you can follow it and how you can mm. make a difference mm. to that money flow mm. and then suddenly people listen if they and partnerships think. seem to from what you're saying partnerships seem to be quite a key way of finding the money or finding the yeah in-kind support at, at the very least for, follow the money is in so for let me think so like for example with pregnant and screwed but the way that we're tackling it with businesses is by showing them the business benefits yeah. this is how you yeah. this is the money you're losing and this is the money you could yeah. be making other campaigns, so like the Page Three campaign, um, they were um, the the companies that were advertising mm. in the newspaper, the, you know, the Sun. Mm. They were targeting those companies and saying, "Stop advertising with the Sun, and we'll humiliate you if you continue advertising." Mm. So then, of course, the Sun that money train yeah. trail was yeah, being affected. Yeah, so follow the money in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that will really hit them where it hurts. Yeah, and. It's it's hard going and it takes a lot of time and a lot energy. of energy. So you have to really care about it. Yeah. And there will be moments where you think nobody's listening, nobody's interested, but you you've just got to keep going. And there will be, you'll have ups and downs. Mm. You know, moments of this is amazing. I'm making a massive difference. Mm. Things are really happening. To nobody's listening. Nobody cares. Everybody thinks I'm an idiot, mm. and I'm never going to, you know, get anywhere with it. Uh, so just keep keep going, don't give up. Mm. And um, if anybody is interested, then um, do contact me and I'll you know, give you any help or advice that you you want. And also, I mean, if it's a, woman, a campaign for women, there are obviously organisations that will support you yeah. as well. So Fawcett Society, Women's Equality Party have both been absolutely brilliant with Pregnant and Screwed. When we did March of the Mummies, they were there and they were promoting it to all of their people. And... For us, what I've found has worked really well is building that online profile. So I spend a lot of time on social media, which Pete, Tom sometimes thinks is me <laughs> wasting time. But actually, there's no you can't have a campaign without having a following. It doesn't make any sense. No. You're just shouting into the ether <laughs> otherwise. So um, I've spent a lot of time building our online following so that when we are doing a specific campaign or doing anything at all, we have a community of people there that 
believe in what we're doing, care about it and are willing to support us. And that, again, is time-consuming and can feel laborious and, um, you know, again, like you're just shouting into the ether, Mm. but um, it's worth the investment, definitely. Mm. And we now have a really healthy following and that makes a massive difference. Mm. Definitely. Clearly, if you've sold out your events that you've planned and, you know... Yeah, well, yeah, that was it. It came as a shock to me as well. That was the first probably real test of the community that we built and um, was clear that, yeah, there's definitely people there who are willing to support the stuff that we're doing and want it, you know, really want it to happen. Well, sad that that community has to exist, but I'm glad you're there to serve it. Um, You're doing a fantastic job, so thank you so much for inviting me around to your your house having a cup of tea in Manchester it's been great to catch up um I better let you get on I know you've got some important meetings to get to so um best of luck with everything and I'll see you soon thanks (laughs) I do hope you've enjoyed this episode of reworked the reworked podcast is a fortnightly program and it's produced by diversity consultancy EW group If you enjoyed the show, please give us a review on the homepage or better still, subscribe and then you can keep up to date with all future episodes. I've been your host, Rachel Wilson, and you can find me on Twitter at RAO Wilson and at The EW Group. Join us next time for more Reworked.